0: At the time when I decided to be vegan, I was just looking for the most healthy diet. So I was like, oh, if I go vegan, I'll just cut out all the bad food and then I'll just be eating vegetables. And it really worked at first. For the first couple of years, I felt really, really good. And then I started to notice things like my hair was falling out, my skin was really dull, my energy was tanking. And the worst part was my digestion was just horrible. I couldn't eat really anything without getting really bloated and uncomfortable and it got to the point where I was I can't enjoy anything. Welcome
1: to the holistically healthy podcast where I Sedona Tregoning nutritional therapy practitioner and NASM certified trainer bust health myths and teach you how to become the healthiest most confident version of you. Hello everyone and welcome back to the holistically healthy podcast. Today I'm super excited because I have a guest on that I have been low-key fangirling over for a little while now because I just feel like everything she posts I align with so, so much. And I'm very excited to have her on. And we're going to be talking about some health myths that her and I definitely can relate on that are just totally crazy. And so we want to save you from the craziness of the health space. Now, without further ado, I'd love to introduce her. So her name is Grace. And Grace, can you just give the listeners a little bit of like a rundown on
0: who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I am a holistic nutritionist and I specialize in hormones and gut health. That's because I think like most women now, I've been through my own hormonal and gut health journey, and I think there's just so much to be learned, especially in our society now with the foods we eat and the medications we're recommended and birth control and everything else. I feel like people are getting really sick and confused with all this conflicting information, so I like to really bust those myths and just get down to the facts and help bring clarity to people.
1: Yeah, I feel like, like we were talking about before we started recording, there, I feel like you and I like to simplify health because there are so many marketing tactics out there and so many money hungry people that they're always looking to try and sell people on the next best thing. But yeah, I feel like you like to simplify things, right? Because I also know you were saying that you were on like a vegan diet and that really screwed up your health. And I guess kind of go into a little bit more about how that was for you, like the vegan diet and the little things that you had to change to
0: kill yourself. I, I mean, I want to start by saying I think people can be healthy on a vegan diet, but everyone's body is so different. And I think that's the issue with these black and white ways of thinking with health. It's you're either vegan and this is like the only way or like your carnivore or your paleo, like these schools of thought that are just so black and white can be really dangerous because they're easy to fall into. And then when your body starts reacting maybe in a negative way, you don't listen to your body signals because you're just so conditioned to think that this is like the optimal diet. So at the time when I decided to be vegan, I was just looking for the most healthy diet. I was a dancer my whole life and I wanted more energy. I wanted my performance to be good. And I was in college, so there wasn't like a lot of really healthy food options. So I was like, oh, if I go vegan, like, It'll just cut out all the bad food and then i'll just be eating like vegetables and it really worked at first like for the first couple of years i felt really really good and then i started to notice things like my hair was falling out my skin was really dull my energy was tanking and the worst part was like my digestion was just horrible like i couldn't eat really anything without getting really bloated and uncomfortable and For years, I was just like, oh, this is just what my body is. Like, this is the healthiest diet. So it must just be the way that my body is. It can't have anything to do with my diet. And it got to the point where I was like, I can't enjoy anything. I was home for Christmas one year and we had just eaten. And I had, I don't know, it was like a salad and rice or something. And I was curled up on the couch. My dad was like, what is wrong with you? Like, this is not normal. And he, he's a chiropractor, so he does some testing through his practice. And he was like, why don't you take this food sensitivity test and some other ones, and we can, like, see what's actually going on. And it turned out that I had, like, a really severe candida overgrowth. At the time, I didn't know what that was, so I started studying, and I started learning about, like, IBS and SIBO and candida and all these digestive issues. And as I was researching, I was learning about, like, the candida cleanse And for those of you guys that don't know, the Candida cleanse is no carb, no sugars. And that was like everything that I was eating at the time because I was vegan. So I had to cut out essentially everything that I was eating. And that kind of led me into having to eat animal products again because I was so undernourished. And so I slowly started doing that. And through that whole process, I just learned so much about my body and like what my body needs. And it was kind of this, eye-opening moment where I was like, oh, the vegan diet actually might not work for everybody. And that was just like a crazy paradigm shift. So then I started diving more into nutrition. And yeah, here we are. Well, yeah, I I have some
1: clients that have followed the vegan diet. And it's interesting because I have some people where they come to me and they're like supplementing with B12 and like vitamin A and all the things that you're going to be low on with a vegan diet. And some people – do okay but then there's some people that yeah their gut is totally destroyed from a vegan diet and it takes a long time to reintroduce meat and be able to digest meat again and so actually this is a good pivot into like our first kind of myth
0: okay what diet is the best diet yeah i think it falls somewhere in between vegan and carnivore right like i think it's a little bit of everything i mean if you look at how we used to eat ancestrally like it depended where you were in the world people that lived in the Arctic tundra weren't foraging for berries and vegetables because there wasn't there. So they were hunting for animals. But then people that lived, you know, like in the tropical climates, they were probably just eating a bunch of fruit and they were healthier than both parties were healthier than we are today, you know. So I think the healthiest diet is unprocessed whole foods. And I think the details of how many carbs you need, how much meat you should be eating, how many vegetables you need or like what types of vegetables that's going to be very specific to the individual and i think people don't want to go through the process of like figuring what that is for themselves so then they end up trying to like model their diet after these crazy specific and rigid schools of thought and i think that's where a lot of the problem lies definitely one thing
1: is is that a lot of people don't understand that you still could be eating a healthy diet but not actually digesting your food if you have digestive issues Yeah. So then they're looking for like, okay, what is wrong with my diet? And so they're trying these different diets when no matter what happens, if you don't have proper digestive health, it doesn't really matter what you eat to a certain extent. You can really make things worse with the standard American diet but it's at some point it doesn't really matter what you're eating. And I also think it's some people where people are so good at marketing and they're so good at being like, no, this is the right diet for you. Like, for example, what is that guy that he says that like oatmeal is bad and vegetables are bad? The carnivore MD. Oh, that's him? Yeah, I think so. Well, wait, I thought you could have.
0: Definitely. Yeah,
1: I don't know. But but it's kind of like There's good and bad to literally everything in life. And I feel like people play on like the bad side of it when in reality, fruits and vegetables are one of the best ways to feed your gut bacteria. Like we need them to feed our gut bacteria.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's why the nutrition space is so wild and the fitness space too, because you could literally Google why are vegetables bad and you'll get a million articles or why are vegetables good? A million articles and the same thing for literally everything out there. So It's just too much information and it confuses people. But to your point, yeah, like if you have poor digestion, it doesn't matter what you're eating. Like you're not going to be absorbing and using the nutrients. So that's why gut health is so important and like healing the body as a whole. And then, you know, figuring out the little tiny details after the fact.
1: Exactly. A lot of people focus on the little tiny details, like the supplements and stuff like that. So crazy. (laughs) I know. But it's marketing. It is marketing. Yeah. Yeah. It's also interesting, too, because I have for the people listening, I'm sure, you know, but like I got into like meditation because at a certain point, too, I was kind of like, how do I one feed out all the, the bullshit online and like start listening to my body? And how do I also start healing the stress that has, you know, is keeping me from fully healing? And so I got into meditation and I also feel a lot of people would do so much better in seeding out the misinformation online if they had more of a stronger intuition and like they listen to like the certain foods that do sit well with them. Because like you said, some people do well with some foods. Some
0: people don't do well with some foods. Do you like do any meditation or mindfulness at all? Yeah. So I feel like the last the last piece of the puzzle for me when I was like healing my gut was actually meditation because I wasn't realizing that I was stressed out. Because I felt emotionally good. But I'm someone who shoves down my emotions and I didn't realize that. And once I started meditating and like tapping into like the vagus nerve and everything, I feel like that really was just the missing piece of the puzzle that like really pushed me over the edge and actually allowed me to heal. Cause I always thought sometimes when people talk about like meditation and like your nervous system, not really your nervous system, but like healing past traumas and stuff, sometimes it seems a little bit woo woo for me, but it's actually not. It's science like your nervous system and your vagus nerve connects to your entire digestive system and your brain so if that's not firing correctly you're not going to be digesting properly at all and your hormones are going to be out of whack too so like that is one of the biggest things that i think people are missing when it comes to their health
1: 100 definitely yeah i mean i could talk about meditation forever and i feel like if i had to go back in time and start at square one of trying to heal my body, I probably would have started with meditation before like doing all the testing and supplements and everything. Because even like you said, not only for your gut health and for vagal tone, it's important, but it's also important for your hormones because some people don't understand that cortisol is like your body's going to produce cortisol over other hormones when you are always in that fight or flight state. So there is no fixing your hormones when you are always stressed out and overthinking. Yeah. Yeah. Very important.
0: Yeah. A thousand percent. Cortisol. I mean, I think most people have high cortisol and it's a hard thing to like mitigate because, you know, everyone just says like, oh, manage your stress. But it's not as simple as like, it is as simple as sitting down and meditating, but like you have to do so many things. So like you have to be so in tune with your body to understand what's triggering your fight or flight. So you have to be very like in tune with yourself. And that's a skill.
1: hundred percent. Well, that's where it's meditation is great but if you're not carrying that meditative type of state into the rest of your day it's kind of just serves as a stress reliever it doesn't actually change the way you perceive things Mm -hmm. it is really interesting we could could probably talk about this forever i might have to have you on again for this but for right now for the sake of this okay so we we said that the healthiest diet is going to be basically right like the one that you can well one adhere to And the one that feels good for you and the one that is not just gimmicky and where people are telling you, hey, this is super black and white, veggies are bad, fruits are bad, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Actually, this is also part of the diet, but the lemon water thing that's been going around, like you were talking about with like how people feel like if they drink lemon water, they're going to lose fat. So let's talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is just one of those things like, do you remember the chlorophyll water thing that was going around? Yes. Like last summer. There's always something like that, that just has like basically no scientific backing. Like lemon water is great for you. Like it's gonna hydrate you. It's gonna make you feel good. If it's warm, it might like stimulate your digestion, but there's nothing about it that's burning fat or anything like that. But that type of marketing is so enticing to people because they're like, oh, all I have to do is just drink some lemon water in the morning and I'm gonna drop five pounds or 10 pounds. And it's just not the case. And there's just so many things that are like marketed like that, like the whole probiotic craze. I think probiotics are fantastic, but you can't just keep your diet the same and take a probiotic and expect to feel better. And that's the problem with like a lot of supplements now is people think it's like a quick fix and it's oftentimes not.
1: 100%. I know some people don't realize that like probiotics, most of them are what, like 1 billion like CFU, so like live cultures, but there's like trillions of bacteria in your gut. And especially if you're not like eating vegetables, As soon as you stop taking that probiotic, you're not even feeding the bacteria that you just implemented into your digestive system. So it's not really going to hang around that long. So yeah, super interesting. And another thing I wanted to talk about too, and a little bit of a backstory that I know we were, I was sharing with you is like before I really realized that the supplements I was taking and the foods that I was eating, it wasn't that I wasn't eating great foods or like, you know, not supplementing enough it was that I wasn't healing fully because my body was stuck in fight or flight from like past trauma. So before I realized that, I was working with the third coach I'd ever worked with because I went coach hopping because I was like, something's missing and it was just stress. I worked with this like functional nutrition coach and they're very big in this space. And they actually recommended Ozempic to me because my blood sugar was borderline high, not even like super high. I think it was between like 90 and like 110 they were like okay let's do ozempic just to get your blood sugar down for those of you that don't know i actually have a podcast episode on this like explaining ozempic and what it does so you can always look back on that but basically it plays on your hunger signals and it it makes you like nauseous and everything like that and make you not want to eat as much food so have you noticed is anyone taking that And, and what are your thoughts on ozempic
0: yeah I think there's a lot more people taking it right now than we're aware of. And my thoughts on Ozempic are there's this client that I I worked with like when I first started, and she had like a severe binge eating disorder and she just could not manage her weight at all. Like it was a lifelong struggle for her. And so she's on Ozempic now or Manjaro or something. And it's like a miracle drug for her because it shuts off that part of your brain that's the craving, the hunger, like the, the binge eating, whatever it is in your brain that causes that. And it's really helped her a lot, but she's now going through this phase where she keeps going up in the drug and it's not doing the same thing as before. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, what happens when you're at the highest dose and it's not working for you? What do you do? And when you go off it, what the hell is going to happen? You're going to swing back so far the other way. And now, because you've been taking this drug for so long, your digestive motility has slowed drastically. You probably lost so much muscle mass. And so now your metabolism is way slower. And I think it's completely going to screw people in the long run, unless they're going to be on this drug for the rest of their life, which I don't think is a great solution. So I think there's a lot of dangers to it that we don't know about yet. And it's just one of those things that like feels like a miracle drug, like, oh, now I don't have to eat and I can lose like however much weight I want basically without any effort. And I think there's always going to be consequences to things like that. So it's kind of scary.
1: That is really scary. Yeah. I I personally don't really know anyone close to me that's taken it. So it's interesting that you say that she keeps like increasing the dose.
0: Yeah, because I think her doctors told her like, oh, this is something that you might have to be on for the rest of your life. And because they, they've they only approved the medication up to like, I think like 15 milligrams or something like that. And she's at the 15 milligrams and she's like, I can't go any higher than this. And it's not working anymore. And like the binge eating feels like it's coming back. So like, can you imagine the panic? You haven't had those like thoughts or those feelings and you've lost like 50 pounds or something. And then all those like thoughts and behaviors start to come back and you're like, oh my God, like I'm taking so much of this drug and it's still there. Like, what do you do now? It's really scary for people. That is really scary. No,
1: that's so scary because that's like, I don't know if this has happened to you, but I had such bad anxiety and panic attacks before that it's taken me a long time, even through meditation to be like, okay, if I'm feeling a little bit anxious today about something, it doesn't mean I'm going to go back to my old panic attack, anxiety ways. Yeah. And that alone is anxiety. So you're like, I don't want to regress. So that is, that's really scary. And I know that, With Ozempic, they've seen like a lot of people have like slower motility, constipation or like gastritis. Do you
0: Have you been in touch with her? Do you know if she's had any of those symptoms? She's definitely had constipation, which I think she like expected and knew that was going to happen. But yeah, like one, if you're like not eating as much, your digestion is not going to be flowing at the same rate. And then just like the GLP-1, like what the drug is, it slows your motility down and then it affects your like appetite. So- you're gonna feel like shit while you're on it because you're nauseous, you have no appetite and then you're not eating. So I don't know. I think I think it depends on the person. I think for some people it can be worth it, but I think there should always be a plan to like wean you off the drug. Like I don't think it's a good thing to be on it forever unless you're like actual diabetic, you know?
1: Yeah. But even then. I know, yeah. So I'm curious because I, I go back and forth. A lot of the times I'm like, I feel like every single – illness there's some type of stress component to it yeah but then I'm also like maybe it's not that because there's no really science there's some scientific evidence based on that but there's not a whole lot and there's a lot of skeptics so I'm curious with her like with the binge eating to me I would think maybe that's some type of emotional problem or like stored trauma or something or is it actually physiological so I don't know if you're okay with sharing, but when you had talked with her, do you feel like maybe that could have been an emotional issue that was causing the binging? Or do you feel like it was just physiological, like her body?
0: Yeah, she is aware that it's emotional. Like she went through some stuff when she was younger and she's connected the binge eating to that trauma because she's been overweight her whole life. So it's been like a lifelong struggle for her. But I do think, I think for most people, If they have binge eating disorder, it's probably stems from something emotional, but over time it becomes a physiological habit Yeah, and it's just how your brain copes. So then every time you do it, it gets wired and wired into your brain. And so to unravel it, it's almost like oftentimes not even about the trauma anymore. It's just the way that your brain has like developed and and created this habit. So obviously, I'm not an expert in this, but I think to unravel it, it's like so complex because you have to backtrack like years of this behavior just being repetitive.
1: So I think it ends up being both. Okay. Did you ever read the book, like Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself? Yeah. Okay. Joyce. Yes, I love that book. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that just made me think of that because I get so curious of what if you were... Okay, so it becomes a pattern, right? Like what if you were to just wake up and instead of maybe like you just quit your job, like instead of going to your normal job, like... What if you just moved to like Africa or something and you just had a totally different job? You know, I wonder if that would really help change people. They should do experiments on
0: that. They should. And it's, I really feel like environment is everything. So I was living in Miami before this. I'm like, this is like a tiny example of kind of not even related. But when I was living in Miami, I was eating super, super healthy. And I had terrible acne this past year. I don't understand why. It just, I started getting really bad acne and then as soon as I moved or like left Miami and came to Guatemala, I've been eating tacos and shit like that. Like it's not even like healthy food and my skin is cleared up. So it's like your environment is, and I think a lot of that was probably like stress related and hormonal, but your environment changes everything about you. Like you are a product of your environment. So I think, yeah, if you have someone that is really stuck in their habits and behaviors and you just flop them in a completely different place, that's bound to change. Mm-hmm. at least to an extent,
1: which is so hard, right? Because even for me, you know, I'm wanting to move and I'm like, my family's here, you know, it's yeah, really hard. Yeah. And I'm sure, do, do you feel like, do you notice a different quality of food where you are now versus Miami?
0: Um, You know, it's confusing because, you know, I would get like organic, really high quality food at like Whole Foods, that's where I would shop. And then here it's like the grocery stores. I'm not I don't know. Like I'm sure the produce is sprayed with different things and they use different chemicals and whatever. But I don't know that the food quality is like that different. Mm -hmm. I'd have to look into that more. But I'm sure like I I think this food in the States is unfortunately like just there's just a lot of chemicals on it. Yeah. That are really hard
1: to avoid even if you get organic food. True. Yeah. Okay. Little mini myth. And then I, I thought of something actually after this too that I'd like to talk about. And then We'll close it out for those of you that are listening but i've heard some people that are very much like buy literally everything organic mm-hmm. and then some people that are like it's sprayed with chemicals anyway so why are you going to spend money on
0: organic so what are your thoughts on organic versus non organic i don't know i don't think i've like fully researched enough on this topic to fully understand it but from what i've heard about just like the corruption and the labeling of things and how that whole system works, just like our food system as a whole, I think everything is sprayed with something, you know? Like how do we actually know that the farmers aren't using the pesticides, you know? It's all just so corrupt. And I feel like once you realize that, you're like, oh my God, I might as well just buy whatever and like wash it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's hard. I think when it comes to meat, like I'll always get grass-fed organic but as far as like vegetables i don't i don't stress about it too much
1: yeah no i'm kind of the same way i i for my nutritional therapy course it was kind of mainly it matters with meats yeah because then it's kind of like you are what you eat and then we are what we eat <laughs> like so when we have a healthy cow that's like getting vitamin d and is getting a lot of nutrients in their diet like we're going to consume that and get more nutrients and that has been shown in research but i mean for the produce yeah i don't know if it matters too much except for like i'm sure we've all heard like the clean 15 the dirty 30 like i'm sure there are some things that are sprayed more heavily than others yeah and then and then i guess it is like the glyphosate right like if they are actually not spraying with glyphosate for the non-organic then that does help a little bit but it's still sprayed with some stuff so it's kind of like just do the best you can
0: exactly yeah
1: Okay. So the last, the last little myth that I wanted to kind of bust here is actually just about like calories in versus calories out. What are your thoughts? This is like a loaded question. And I know that. So like yeah. for someone, okay, let's, let's say for someone that's listening and they're like, you know, they want to be healthier, but they also feel like, cause I've definitely been there where they feel like they're getting healthier. They're doing healthier things. Eating healthier food, but they still have like some, maybe some stubborn belly fat. And they're like, okay, should I go on a super low calorie diet? Like,
0: does calories in versus calories out really matter? What would you say to that person? I mean, we can't deny the fact that it does matter to some extent, but I think what matters more, especially for women, is your hormones. And I think when you're trying to lose weight, you have to look at it like in the long game. Because if you go on like a crash diet, your metabolism is going to slow way down. You're going to lose muscle mass and nobody wants that. So it's going to help you in the long run. So I think looking at it, I mean, doing like a slight calorie deficit over a long period of time, I think would be the best way to to approach that, but slight and you have to make sure your hormones are balanced because you don't want your thyroid going out of whack. So yeah, I mean, it's a loaded question. I think it, it depends on the individual and also depends on your starting point because If you're eating a diet that's like super processed and just like not good, if you switch to whole foods, you're probably going to lose weight immediately. But if you're already eating like super, super clean and your calories are already low, you have to work on building your metabolism back up to a place that's healthy and then you can kind of go from there. So I think it depends on your starting point.
1: Yeah, I think I think like what you said too with building your metabolism is really important because- technically like if you were let's say you're eating a thousand calories is just super low like if you drop to 800 okay maybe you'll lose another pound but then you're also losing muscle yeah and so that's gonna slow your metabolism down more and then you're also getting more stress which is going to cause more fat storage so even if it did matter like if calories in versus calories out like worked it would be really hard to lose fat at a certain point and Let's say you, you know, you go back
0: to eating at maintenance, like you have less muscle. That's not going to come back. No. So yeah, your muscle, like your muscle is literally like you you should think of it as an organ that is going to boost your metabolism. So I think for most women, most women are probably under eating. So I think focusing on like building muscle is always the best option for everything, for your hormones, for fat loss. Yeah, it depends, but. Calories in calories out is definitely not. 90% of my clients come from like a really aggressive like fitness background. And I've had girls say like, oh, I had a, a fitness trainer and they suggested I eat like 900 calories or a thousand. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, No wonder your thyroid is absolutely tanked. It's horrible. And
1: it's horrible. And that goes back to the stress too. Like even when, so when we're talking about high cortisol, that doesn't even mean you're just like have trauma or your job sucks and you're stressed about it that also means like hey you've been eating super low calorie for a really long time so yeah it is really interesting and did you did you hear about the study about like the fecal transplant with mice and how they put bacteria from I there' i think a skinny human into a fat mouse and like the mouse actually like lost weight yeah or something something like that. I'm sure if you guys Googled it, you would find it. Or do you know exactly what it was?
0: Yeah, I think it was they I think it was they made it a mouse obese or something. And then I don't know. It was something like that. It was it was the, the mice's microbiome though, but they I think it was they put the obese mouse's microbiome into the skinny mouse and the skinny mouse got fat. I'm sure there's different studies that they've done on that. But yeah, it shows that your microbiome literally can dictate your your weight. Yeah
1: crazy that is crazy yeah that's what i'm saying too because that's another thing is like you also extract more calories with like the certain bacteria they also did that with like people with i think it was like ulcerative colitis yeah they transplanted that bacteria into a a rice (laughs) a mouse and it got ulcerative colitis like it's
0: so crazy so crazy the microbiome is wild and it's crazy that we've only like scratched the surface of the science on that. Like I can't imagine in like 10 years what we'll know. I know. Yeah. It is interesting. They're
1: talking about like actually creating little capsules with like dehydrated poop and like taking that almost as like a probiotic because I guess like the, our bacteria, like some of the species are like dying off, like almost animals in the planet because of like our soil quality and food quality and all of that. So anyways, we might be ingesting poop (laughs) in the future. So this is this is why you should have good poop now because people might actually want to buy your poop. True. Profitable. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. Well, uh, do you have anything else to say about the calories in versus calories out?
0: Yeah, like your your metabolism and your hormones are king when it comes to that. Yeah. Actually, that's good. Totally great.
1: Okay, cool. Well, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for coming on. And so if people would like to see your content, where would
0: they find you? Instagram underscore graceful wellness. And then the rest of my links should be in the link in my bio. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, I
1: hope to have you on again. Maybe we'll talk about meditation. Okay. But yeah, thank you guys for listening. And I will catch you on the next one. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Holistically Healthy podcast. If you want more information or immediate help, head to nothingback.net and apply for coaching.